Um, let me pray. Father, um, come before you this morning. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And uh, I just confess even now, Lord God, we need, we need your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need more than, uh, we need more than just words Rob has to say or more than just good thoughts or good teaching or anything like that. We need you. And your word holds out that we get you, <laughs> that we get more than just good thoughts, we get more than just understanding that you wouldn't even want to come and dwell and live in us, doing us what we can't do. And so we just confess that weakness before you this morning, Lord God. Confess the utter need for you um, and ask that you would come and minister to us in the way that you want to. We're your people, we're gathered under your name. Uh, for your glory, for your sake, our lives are yours, Lord God. Um, would you do what you want to do in this day in our lives, Lord God? Um, bless your word as we read it, Lord God. Bless it to our hearts. Give us like, the capacity to, to hear it, the capacity to obey it, the capacity to, like, to, to, to make it part of who we are, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Um, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read out. This TV has been on the blink and has been stuck on that all morning, right? So um, it's been there. That's the passage that I want to uh, uh, read from. Let me just, just read it out. Um, it's precious. These, these words are incredible. They're true of us, right? If they're, if they're true of us. And if they're true of God, then, then there's, something, there's something massive that he wants to communicate to us, right? This is uh, by Isaiah. It was our Bible project reading during the week on Wednesday or something. Um, Isaiah 4 and 4. But now here, of Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshua, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I'm the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And name himself by the name of Israel. We'll read that again in a minute. Um, but it's awesome. There's this promise in the middle of it, right? Um, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah wrote these words and promised in the middle of it, I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring, my blessing upon your descendants. 700 years before Jesus would come, 700 years before we know Pentecost would happen. And John, John uh, records Jesus saying this, John chapter 7, Jesus stands up at one point and he says, on, they're at this feast and he says, on the final and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out in a loud voice, echoing some of the words here, right, in Isaiah, but like nearly a thousand years later he says if any man is thirsty let him come to me and drink he who believes in me the amplified version expands it out he who believes in me says he who cleaves to me and trusts in me and relies on me as the scripture has said from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water and then he goes on to say but he was speaking here of the spirit whom those who believed trusted had faith in him were afterwards to receive for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, raised to honour. So Jesus echoes these things, speaks, if anyone's thirsty, come to me, streams of living water are going to flow from me. And then he says, he was speaking about the fact that he was going to send his Holy Spirit, right? Who hadn't yet come. We know the story, Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus pays the price for our sins, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, ascends to the Father, and he says, he says to the, to the, to the disciples, some of his last words, he says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, right, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high, meaning the Holy Spirit, you know the story, they're up in the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, the church explodes, yeah, like people are empowered, and we see then just this, this journey, like we see from the beginning of Acts, 
Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it probably really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, yeah? Because the Holy Spirit comes to him, and then you just see him taking people, and using people, and empowering people. You see the church exploding, and all the stuff that's happened. And if this is the promise, he says, stay in the city and wait for power from on high. Wait for the promise. And what's the promise? The promise is this promise from Isaiah. It's the promise that Jesus reflected, that I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. We'll come to that at the end, right? That promise of the Holy Spirit. It's really what this, this whole passage is, is about. Leading up to this great thing. Guys, we believe, right, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can be filled, like if we pour it out, we can be filled with the Spirit of God. Huge things. Just like, sometimes I know I say, but I just say words and words are just, but the reality is that, right? The whole, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living here a temple of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands, yeah? But he's chosen to dwell in you by, by his Holy Spirit. He lives in you. It's huge. This is a promise that was made thousands of years ago. What I want you to know at the outset is like, the God of the Bible is different than, 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 than any other God. The God of the Bible is different than the, 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 the worldview we have because of it is different than any other worldview. Most worldviews like that, that develop their God's belief systems that develop, develop like this. Something bad happens and people think, oh, the gods must be angry, yeah? Something good happens, oh, the gods must be pleased. And people like then form these philosophies around animism and what, what gods are and look into nature and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. God of the Bible is different. God of the Bible tells you what he's going to do and then he does it to show you that's who he is, yeah? He says, I will pour out my spirit and then what does he do? He pours out his spirit so that you know that it was him who said it, it was true. He does everything that he does. He reveals himself to Abraham. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Abraham's no kids. What's he do? He makes a nation out of him. Yeah? He's, he, he tells people again and again what he's going to do beforehand. And then he's like flawless in his record at making it, at making it happen. That's the story of the Bible, yeah? That he says he's going to do something and then, and then he follows through on it. So that means that every one of these promises, every one of these things that he says are going to happen, yeah? So we need to read scripture like that. This isn't people looking back and thinking, well, that must have been what God was up to because of our own experience. And we can even walk through life like that. Well, I'm feeling down, God must be disappointed with me. Or I'm feeling high, I must be doing something right. Or, you know, just this interpretation through our lens, just this quasi-spirituality. But no, what we have, the bridge preached about last week, is we have the word of God where God has spoken. And what God is going to do is said, it says in there, and then he does it. Yeah? So that we know, we know that he, that he is God. He's real, he's in control, he's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He is who he says he is, and he does what he says he'll do, right? Now that being true, let's read this scripture again, like believing that this stuff, this stuff is true, yeah? Now, here, oh Jacob, my servant. Now, he's speaking to Jacob and he speaks to Israel, like, but he's speaking to you because Jesus echoed, echoed these verses. He says the same, the same kind of words, but he says, if anyone comes to me, you receive this. If anyone comes to me, so this isn't just for Israel, this is, this is for you, right? Hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshua, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, and my blessing upon your descendants. And they shall spring up along the grass like willows, by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand the Lord's, and will name himself by the name of Israel. Look at what the first couple of verses even say about you. Listen, chosen, made, formed. Do you see those verbs? Do you see God's action in, in you? Speaking about you? 
Here, listen. He's like, listen up to this, right? Like, listen to what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say is important, right? Opens, opens with that. Here, you're Israel whom I've chosen. You're the people who've been, who've been chosen by God. Do you know that, church? Do you know that God has chosen you? The Lord who made you then, even at a deeper level. Like, I made you. And then the in, most intimate way you could express it, like, I formed you in the womb. Yeah? Like, I, like I made you. I put together the cells of your body. I invented you. I created you. I made you. That's his heart towards you. You're chosen. You're made. You were formed by God. What? What if we began to live with the realization, with the revelation that that's true? You know? What if we, like, didn't listen to the voices that say, ah, oh, you're an accident? <laughs> You know, or you don't, you don't matter, or you know, like that. That there's, there's, there's no real reason for you. God chose you. Many of us think that we chose Him, but the Bible tells a different story. It says that He chose us before the foundations of the world. We read this out about a baby dedications, you know. But in Ephesians 2:10, He says we are His workmanship. Listen to that. That's who you are. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You're not trying to figure out what to do with your life. He's not like, ah, Jay's got himself into a state, what can I do here? Prepared beforehand, created the purpose, then created you to walk in that purpose. Like, how incredible is that, right? There's a, there's a reason. There's a reason for you. There is workmanship. God created like good works in advance that we would walk in them, yeah? There was a reason and then God made you to fit, to fit that reason. And God is saying here, I made you. You're not a mistake. You're not irrelevant. Your life isn't meaningless. You're not an accident. God's not trying to figure out what to do with you. Your identity is that you were created by a father who loves you and whose plans are sovereign and are backed up by this power, which is all the power in the universe. We need to accept that by truth. I'm made by God. Yeah? I'm chosen by God. I'm loved by God. I'm adopted by God in Christ Jesus. We know those doctrines. We've looked at them before. So we need to silence the voices that say, well, you don't matter. No, our life is just meaningless. I'm just, just getting on with things or whatever. No, do you know, there's a deep, there's a purpose for you. There's a reason for you. I made you, I formed you in the womb. You're not a failure. You're not insignificant. That's not what your maker says about you. That's not how your maker looks at you. It's not how he sees you this morning. Do you ever like, I like, I like making things, right? I used to be an engineer. I like just, I like just making things. I'm always making something or other, right? Um, and whenever you do, I don't know if you're like me, but when you do, you go in and you... So we painted that room beside our bedroom recently, the little office. I was in that office, we used to be Penny's nursery, and I'd be on Zoom calls, and there was all like love hearts and teddy bears and all sorts of stuff behind me. And uh, so I decided to paint and make myself look a bit more professional. But after, like, I painted, so I beside my bedroom, go to the bathroom, and then we go into bed, and I just pop in and have a look at, like, what I'd done. You know what I mean? Just pop in, like, proud of that cutting in was great, you know what I mean? Or that little, just those little bits, you're just looking at the things that you. You've done, you take pride in that stuff. And that's a trivial kind of example, but, but, but the idea that when you've made something, you're invested in it, yeah? You're delighted in it, like you're, you're proud of it. I am the God who made, who made you, who formed you in the womb, yeah? Who, who, who created you. Like on a non-trivial level, probably the closest real example I have to maybe the way that the Lord, a fraction of the way the Lord sees it. Penny was, uh, Penny was born in like 27, 2012, so 11 years ago, yeah? And uh, it's only 10 days away from her birthday. But I remember she was, uh, Patrice had a section when she was born. And uh, so Patrice is brought into the, the, the labour ward thing. And they make me put on this gown and this thing. And I go in and Patrice is like lying down. Her head is there and there's like this blanket. And I can only see over it like what the doctors are doing. And I, I don't know, I'd never even thought of a section of my involved, right? But if you had to ask me what would have thought, maybe they do a little slip. They just like take the baby out and 
That's it though. But it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was like, uh, the birth was traumatic for me. It was a hard birth for me. The difficult birth So, right, I'm sitting there looking over the thing, and the doctor is literally like, he's over the thing, he's like hauling, and he's like, like reefing at this, this, this thing to take out the baby, right? And anyway, he takes out Penny and passes her to the, to the nurse, and the nurse walks over to my right hand side to like clean her up, and I just catch a glimpse, right? Like just a glimpse before I get to me. And in that glimpse, like instantly something like switches on inside you, yeah? Instantly, like she looked like me. I don't know if I've still mangled up and full of gunk and everything, but somehow she, she like, <laughs> she's the image of me. But like you see, you see, like you see her in that moment, and it's like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad. Like, like, my, like all of a sudden this stuff switches on. I protect, do you know what I mean? I provide, I look after, I raise her. Like I get to teach her, like the honor of it. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father. And like, guys, that's the way, that's what the Bible's trying to communicate to us, is the way that God, God looks at you right now. We're not looking at you with like some disappointment. It's like that pure love, that pure, I made you, I you, I delight in you, I'm looking at you. I, love, I, like, I, love, the, I love the honor of getting to protect you. I'm obligated in the like, so The doctrine of adoption by God, right, is the apex, it's called all doctrines, because God is saying, I'm obligating myself to you as Father, not just as God, but intimately. Intimately, you're my child, I love you. I'm going to protect you, I'm going to look after you, I'm going to raise you, I'm going to teach you. All the things, all that, that, that the best of us would want to do for our parents. I know all of us didn't have great dads, I know that could be, but we at least know what it, what it should look like at its purest. Even if our example is something that was messed up, it feels wrong to us because inside we long for what is true, what should be right, yeah? And God looks at you like that way, formed you, made you, delights in you. It's awesome. What we need to do is learn to, uh, I think, remember this stuff and repeat it to her, to repeat this stuff to her, to, to ourselves. Because even as I, I say that stuff out about you being loved or whatever, there's probably some other like just background noise in your head saying, ah, but, but I sinned this morning, do you know what I mean? Ah, but, but I failed, I failed God in this way. Ah, but it's all right to say, but maybe that was true, I've corrupted that, I messed, I messed that up, you know what I mean? I'm disappointed in this must be now between us or there's some disappointment ways I think I've let him down or I think of the people I've let down I think of the flaws in the character I think of the things I keep struggling with yeah and it's hard to accept that stuff but we need to learn to silence those those things even if it's ourselves saying them you know the world can say horrible things about us and it can shape you in a way but then we do a good job of just repeating those things to ourselves throughout our lives I think what scripture is saying when it's saying this stuff again and again and again is like learn to repeat what is true about you because what your father says rather than what the world has said about you or even what you would say about yourself learn to repeat those things because they're that matter you need to shut down that that background noise I was telling Maliki this morning I have like the computers were acting up here and I was telling him even, I was telling you as well John even as I was writing my sermon this week I have this computer and uh, it just like every now and again like it just makes this noise, and then like it just freezes, and it does like like everything just stops in it. I was typing this sermon out actually, and as I was typing it, like I can't type and look at the screen at the same time, so I'm looking at the keyboard, and I'm like getting a flow. This is great, or whatever. And then I look up, and it's frozen halfway through the paragraph, and just stopped, right? Just giving up, and it's it's gone. And then um, to fix it, I have to open up like there's this activity monitor, and I fix it, and I go in, and there's all sorts of stuff just running in the background. Yeah, it's all like stuff from old printers, like stuff like running and software that's not even open on the computer. It's running processes, and it's like taking up all of the the space. There's this graph, and you can see like the the space that it, the the CPU space and the memory space is taking up. Go in and kill all those processes, 
and then it can do it can do what it's meant to do. Yeah, and like the parallel as you get it, it's probably obvious. Like we've got this. I often live with this background noise just going on in my head. You know what I mean? Like unfulfilled things, things I started and didn't finish. Ways I feel I've let people down. Ways I feel I'm not good enough. Ways I feel like like down. Ways I failed. Like just these background processes always going on, occupying the space, on constant loop, always there in the background. And when you hear something that's the opposite of it, sounds like good news, but then maybe you just get distracted again by those background processes still going on. The things people said about you, the things you said about yourself, the ways you messed up, all this stuff just going on. What we need to learn to do is to silence that stuff, yeah, so that we can listen to what we're meant to, to listen to, take a hold of what we're meant to take a hold of. And the way that we silence that stuff is with the gospel, yeah? The way that we silence that stuff is with the truth, is with the truth of the word. I'm not saying you just silence it by, by ignoring it, yeah? I'm not saying like your sin doesn't matter because it absolutely does matter. But what you need to remember is that there's one who paid a price for your sins. You need to bring your sins into contact with the cross of Jesus. Receive forgiveness, receive repentance, yeah? And move on from that stuff. I'm not saying that you're good enough to be accepted by God. I'm not saying it doesn't matter how you live. You're good enough to be accepted by God. You're absolutely not good enough to be accepted by God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, yeah? Because there's one that was good enough to be accepted by God. And here's what the gospel tells you. You get his record in the same way that he took your record. That when God looks at you, he looks at you with the record sheet of Jesus. You get what Jesus deserved because Jesus took what you deserved. It's not just saying, just forget about that stuff. Try not to think about that stuff. It's saying, do think about that stuff. But as you think about it, do with it what you're meant to do with it. You're meant to bring it to the cross, yeah? You're meant to deal with it. You're not meant to, you have to kill those processes. You're not supposed to just leave them going on in the background and try and like plaster over them or just get something to happen instead. You need to kill them. The way you kill them is by bringing them into contact with the truth of who Jesus is, yeah? It's not about ignoring it, not just about pressing on regardless and forgetting about it or trying to it's like deal, deal with that stuff in the way that we've been given because, because of Jesus. God knows that we're constantly in this world right now, we're in this in-between state, yeah? We're in the state where Jesus has come. And there will be a time when we fall victory over sin. There will be a time when we don't struggle with that stuff anymore. There will be a time when the world is made new. We believe that stuff with hope, right? We also live in an in-between time where we're at this battle with our flesh and our mind and the enemy and all this stuff going on. And we live in this in-between time. And that's why God calls Israel, who are in a similar place, right? Listen to this. And he calls them to fear not. See that in verse 2? Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. That fear is the fear that you have um, moved beyond redemption. I'll explain how in the context. That fear is the fear that you've done too much, that you've messed up, that you've, you've, you've let go of the promises of God and that, that, that you've, you've lost out on them. He says to him in the middle, fear, fear not. So the book of Isaiah has been, there was 30 chapters of kind of doom and gloom, right? If you were reading with us since the beginning of January, 30 chapters of like Israel had failed turned to other gods, worshipped other gods, broke the covenant God had given to them, right? And there was punishment coming, they were going to be brought into the exile. Um, and he deals with that. And then chapter 40, it takes this turn and starts speaking about this promise. Total 40 to 50. Starts speaking about the Messiah that's going to come. And in the middle of it, even when they're still failing, while they're still in their sin, God is reaching out to me. He's like, fear, fear not, O Jacob. Fear not, O Jeshurun. Right? Even you have that picture in the middle of it, this word, Jeshurun. That's in, in the middle of it. it. speaks of this identity. They're in the middle of this space, right? So Jacob is the name. Jacob means, you know the story of Jacob and Esau. He comes, they're twins. He comes out of his mother's womb, holding Esau's heel. That's the story. And she calls him Jacob, which means like the supplanter or the deceiver. And you follow Jacob's life and you see him always scheming. You see him always like 
trying to figure his way around stuff. He encounters God at one stage, wrestles with him, God changes his name to Israel. Yeah, the who wrestled with God and wins, changes his identity. So sometimes when you see scripture, you'll say, well, hero Jacob, hero Israel, using this as a reference for the people of God, right? But the identity that God has changed. And he, he, he uses them. This word, Jeshurun, in the middle of it, only appears three times in scripture. The other two times are in Deuteronomy. And it's a name, right? The name, Jacob, means deceiver. But Jeshurun, right? The Hebrew word Jeshurun means the upright one. It means the one who sees of one mind with God, the noble one. And he says it like right in the middle of their sins, right? Yeah, yeah, you're Jacob. Yeah, yeah, you've sinned. Yeah, you've messed up. But also you're just, you're just your own. Also somehow right now you're the upright one. And it's this picture of the gospel. Yeah, we've messed up. Yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, yeah, we fall short of it. But there was one who was going to save us so that we can be called just your own. We can be named with him. Like, so God is saying to broken Israel, to those who rebelled against him, he's saying, fear not, yeah, O Jeshua, fear not that you fear not because I'm calling you the upright one. Pointing to how they're going to become actually the upright ones, not through obedience to the law. We get to read Romans this week, man. If there's a time to join the Bible project, join it this week, right? We're in Romans. And like, the grace of God that's been given to us, the identity that's been that's been given to us, so that we, we can recognize, even when I fail, I think I'm Jacob, but God is saying, yeah, I know what you've done, but here's who you are. You feel like Jacob, but you're Jeshua. Yeah? You're the upright one because of what my son has done for you. Because of what Yeshua, the God who saves Jesus, has done for you. Yeah, I think your identity is only Jacob when you fail, but the grace of God calls out what he sees in you and he sees through the eyes of Jesus and sees what he's done. It's all through scripture. Paul writes to Corinth, the Corinthians and uh, he writes to address mad stuff that's going on. People sleeping with each other all over the place, idol worship going on, like crazy stuff going on. And he opens his letter with what? To the saints in Corinth. To the saints. Not to talk about all the, 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 the crazy stuff they're doing. To the saints in Corinth. Why? Because he understands the gospel. He understands what Jesus has done is enough. And what we need to do is grab onto our, our new identity. It needs to be affirmed in us. This thing isn't just about behavior modification. Stop doing the wrong thing. Just like remember who you are. And act like who you are. It's knowing who we are. We have a righteousness that's not of our own, Paul says, one that comes through faith in God. Remember that, church. Remember that you're loved. Don't say about yourself what your maker doesn't say about you. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, remember, remember who you are. So like in the last verses here, another will say, I am the Lord's, and we'll write on his hand, I'm the Lord's. It's like that, we get vocal about that. Instead of repeating those other things in your head, on this, on that, I've messed up, I fell, or whatever, it's like, I am the Lord's. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm one by him. I am the Lord's. We need to learn to, to identify with, with who we are. It's like, it's, like, it's like, fear not. Do you not know who I am? Because I am the Lord's. Like it says, like tattooed on your hand. Someone will tattoo on their hand, like I am the Lord's. And that's an echo later on in Isaiah. Like uh, he speaks, they speak about God saying that, that I have written, I've written you, I've engraved your name on the palm of my hand, yeah? Like God says that about you. And the idea is this, that as you realize how much you're loved by God, that he's engraved your name on the palm, like a, like a mother or a father would, would want to like write their, tattoo their, their kid's name on their arms, you know what I mean? Or on, over their heart. It's like, oh, I've, I've written your name on my hand. And as you realize that, the idea is that we beholden like the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Yeah, as you realize how loved you are by God, that we come to reflect it to the same way that God would say of, the, of you, your, your mind, that we would say, I am God's in return to him. Yeah? That we, like the, the, the thing that's initiated with God, the love that's flowing from God, would be returned from our hearts to his, that we'd write on our hands, yeah, I'm, I'm the Lord's. I'm marked by God. Like I'm, I'm the Lord's. And guys, it's, again, it's this identity stuff. If you know who you are, 
then in the face of temptation and sin, you can say, that's not who I am. Not just, that's not what I want to do. Not just, I'm trying not to do that. But no, that's not, that's not who I am. On the Lord's, in the face of temptation, in the face of the enemy, you can say, just not who I am. I'm a child of the living God, yeah? In the face of fear, you can speak out, no, that's not who I am. Why am I given the spirit of fear? I'm given the spirit of boldness, yeah? I'm given, like, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Like, it's all about this identity. Like, religion will tell you, just piece by piece, work, knock the edges off, do work on yourself. Do you know what I mean? Get this done. The Bible just wants you to say again and again, do you know who you are? Do you know you've been bought with a price? Do you know that he lives in you? Do you know what a greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Do you know what I say about you? Do you know that I love you, child? Do you know that I want to walk with you? Do you know that I want to provide for you? Do you know that I'm obligating myself to you? Do you know that I know what you need before you even ask me? Do you know that I, thought, oh, I want to give you my Holy Spirit? You're just all over again and again. Do you know? Do you know who you are? 1 Peter 2 9. You are God's chosen people. Yeah? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's, that's who you are. The promises of God are true, amen, yeah? Like God's not just saying, I hope you can be in the chosen people. I hope eventually you'll figure out how to be in the chosen people. I hope eventually you'll get it right and say no. Because what Jesus has done from start to finish, because I've poured out my spirit now into, my heart, into your life, something has changed in you fundamentally. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come, yeah? That I'm a new creation, yeah? Like that, 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 that there's something that's changed about our identity to the extent that he can say, even in the middle of our own not getting it, he can say, you're my chosen people, you're a royal priest, you're a holy nation, you've been caused. Proclaim the excellence of the human culture out of darkness into his, into his marvelous light. It's all because of Jesus. Discovering who we are and, and reflecting it out. And it's all, it's all summed up in the middle bits, right? So I don't know, I don't know how, to do, how to do it justice, but, uh, but that promise, it's huge. Oh, pour water out on the thirsty lands, streams on the dry ground, and it's all pour my spirit upon your offspring. Pour my spirit upon your offspring. We read on the New Testament. We see it actually happen. Because we live in the age where the spirit has been poured out into our lives. The Holy Spirit is poured into our lives. And the functions of the Holy Spirit, like, I don't know, he's almost like the forgetting member of the Godhead. We pray to the Father, we sing songs about Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, co-equal with God, yeah? And dwells in us by the Spirit. Jesus says, I must go so that he can come. Yeah? Like, the reason, like, Jesus thought it was better that he go to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come. How many of you think it would be better if Jesus is walking around right now? Jesus says, it's better that the Holy Spirit would come. He's like, wait for power from on high. The Spirit is the key to recognizing all this stuff, recognizing the fatherhood of God, moving in the purposes of God. The Holy Spirit was the, it's the end game. It's what he was working towards. All that picturing in the Old Testament of, like, the temple and being filled with the presence of God, all that Old Testament stuff was leading to this amazing revelation that one day, Holy Spirit was going to come and make humanity alive again. What was lost in the fall was going to be restored. Spiritual connection with God, that we would be one with God, that He would dwell in us by the power of His Holy Spirit. We're going to read Romans 8 on Friday if you join in with us in the Bible Project. Um, and we read that stuff around, I formed you in the womb. It says it's the Holy Spirit that makes that, that real to you. He says, here's what the Spirit does. He says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons by, which, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. How do you come into a realization of the fatherhood of God and get past all that other identity stuff? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by figuring out 
not by like persuasive words. The Holy Spirit will make that real in your life and enable you to cry Abba Father. Enable that that da da recognition. That's what Abba means, yeah? It's an intimate thing. It's not like Father in, in like you know, sometimes we're father saying the posh English accent sounds like like a father up there to be impressed, right? It's Abba, it's Dada, it's like the first words of a kid, Abba, Abba. Like it's that it's that that intimate re- re- connection with the Lord. When we speak about Fear not, Jacob, my servant, Jeshua, my chosen. Like, oh, sorry, second verse. I formed you in the womb and I will help you, yeah? The Holy Spirit, the word in Greek that's used for the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, which means the helper. Jesus says, I want to go so that I can send you the helper. How do we receive God's help? By the power of the Holy Spirit that, that lives in you. He's the teacher. Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, yeah? I don't know how to grow in the Lord. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the power to live this mission you're called to. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us for mission. How many sometimes feel guilty for not doing mission and then go out and try and do it in our own strength? You know, I should be doing more for you, God. Holy Spirit comes. I think that's why there's that picture in Pentecost like, of Peter, why intentionally like, they follow that story of Peter. Peter failing, Peter denying Jesus, Peter not being bold in front of a little girl to say, yeah, I follow this Jesus. And he says, I don't know anything about him, I don't know what to do with him. What happens like 40, 50 days later, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit builds. Peter stands up in front of the whole of Jerusalem, proclaims who Jesus is, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be, to be his witness. Yeah? It's the thing that gave... The, the church, that boldness, is the thing that enabled them to do what they were meant to do. It says he gave you gifts, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophecy and wisdom and discernment of spirits. All those things are gifts from the Holy Spirit to help us live this life that he's called it. He's changed you. The Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control are all fruits of what? Fruits of the Spirit. Yeah? It's what the Spirit does. You're not fruits of Rob trying harder. not fruits of Rob reading the book about joy and becoming more joyous and the book about love and becoming more loving. The fruits of the Holy Spirit in life, in, in my life, produces what God wants to produce in me. Corinthians tells us this. Just think about this. It says, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. Who knows the mind of God with the Spirit and makes it like available to you? Let you know what God is thinking. Let you know what God is saying right now. Let you, let you know what God has for your life daily. Even like, he lets you know the mind of God. Searches the deep things of God. He gives us this solid ground of the goodness of God. Uh, in Corinthians, Paul speaks about, about it again. He says, God has made us for every purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. When we talk, look at the world, the world's falling apart or whatever, when we think about the future, is, is Jesus going to return? Is, are, we, are, we barking, it's like, are we barking up the wrong tree? Are we going after the wrong tree? The Holy Spirit is what is inside you that lets you know, and I've been given this guarantee, this deposit. You know, like when you pay a deposit on a house, like you're saying, I'm going to make the rest of the payments, and it's like, because I've got something invested in you. God is saying, I've got something invested in this world, a place with spirit in you, as a guarantee, as a deposit, assuring you that what I've said is going to happen, assuring you of every promise that I've said about you, everything I've said about your life, everything I've said about who I'll be to you, assuring you that that's, that's true, because I've given you, I've given you my Holy Spirit. And in this prophecy, he says, I'm going to pour it out. And that language, even pour it out, it's huge, yeah? It's not like you dish it out in little communion cups, <laughs> or like, you know, little, whatever, I'm going to pour it out. It speaks about being like, like it overflowing, like you're being covered in it. Like, why don't you a bucket of water over your head? In fact, then when it comes to the New Testament and they talk about the Holy Spirit, they say, they use the word, are you baptized 
in the Holy Spirit. You baptize someone, you dump them underwater. The baptize is the same word they use when they're dying wool. You know that thing they dip, they dip wool into this dye and pull it out and it's been baptized. So it's the baptismal. That's the Greek word, yeah? It's like something that's changed about it. It's become identified a different thing. Something fundamental is different about it. It's been covered. It's been immersed in the Holy Spirit. Rather, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, maybe we just flow through week by week, day by day. I don't realize the awesomeness of what God has said, what he's promised. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on you. We settle for, I don't know, bite-sized emotionals or something. We settle for piece by piece working on this thing in our lives. Or, I don't know, God just like, I just want you to be immersed in me. Just want to overwhelm you, do you know what I mean? I just want you to be filled up. Jesus didn't speak about, you know, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and little trickles of water, I'll give him like on the tip of his tongue or something. If anyone's thirsty, come to me with rivers of living water and flow from me. It's like rivers. It's like this, this overwhelming thing. My question, I suppose, is like, are we, are we thirsty? Because that's what Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. What can we do? Just, like, just go to him and ask for the Holy Spirit. Like uh, Jesus says, the one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. Yeah. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. He says, like, in that same, the next verse, he's like, what father, right, like, who asks for whatever, is asks for some bread, I'll give, I'll give him a stone. Or asks for something to eat, I'll give him a snake instead. He says, even though you are evil, he says, evil father, right, compared to who God is, right, you know how to give good gifts to your children. The next verse, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? Anyone who asks, anyone who knocks, anyone who seeks, I'll give them the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of the goodness of the father, not because of your goodness. Not because you figured it out, not because you did all the right things, now you've unlocked the door to find in the Holy Spirit, and you worked hard enough, or you were religious enough, or you didn't sin for long enough and ticked all the boxes on the calendar, or whatever, disciplined yourself enough. No, because, because he's the good father. Yeah? And it's the Holy Spirit that actually enables you to change from the inside out. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how to, how to end this, this sermon on the journey. I don't know if it's a moment. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. But I know that the Lord is stirring up in me anyway, and God willing in, in you. Just a hunger to sound. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, Lord. I don't want to be, not a cliche, but I don't want to be ankle deep. You know what I mean? I want to be all, I want to be all in. I don't want to limit you. I don't want to just try and understand you. Look, like, I, just, I just want you. Do you know what I mean? I just want you. Holy Spirit, we wait on you. And uh, you're sovereign. I believe you're leading us in this. And Holy Spirit, would you pour out on all flesh, Lord? Would you, would you come and baptize us? Would you fill us up to enable us to recognize the Father for who he is that we would call out Abba? Would you fill us with your gifts? Would you you produce in us what we can't produce in ourselves, Lord? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Would you change us from the inside out? Could we actually know and experience what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, not just words? We're not our own. We've been bought at the price. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know, church? Would you just open our eyes to what it is we already have, who it is we already are because of you? Would you stop us from our striving? Would you stop us from our trying to impress you or, or trying to just live good lives in our own strength? And, and uh, would you just uncover to us who we are already because of the finished work of, of Jesus? And uh, Holy Spirit, we just, we just wait on you. We wait on you. We're hungry for you, thirsty for you. Confess our need for you. Yes. Would you fall? Come, Holy Spirit.
where it says the Holy Spirit even convicts us of our sins, that's different than condemnation. If even the sin is coming to your mind now, what you're meant to do is like bring that to the cross, yeah? So right now, if that's coming to your mind, kill that background noise, bring it to the cross. Jesus, I repent. Jesus, I'm sorry. Come and fix it. Come and wash my feet. Come and do from the inside what only you can do. My trust is in you. You're my saviour. I need you. Holy Spirit will prompt that. Anything else, any condemnation, anything we don't, that doesn't end with us bringing it to the cross isn't from him. Reject it. Kill it. We wait on the Holy Spirit. 